welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Well, that's quite the introduction. And usually I have some kind of joke or something to follow it, and I just really don't. Um, well, maybe later. <laughs> I think what's important um, in our friendship and what makes it so meaningful is we're not surface friends. And I, I don't know how to express that, but even with our relationship with God, we think we have this deep thing because we discovered an aspect of God, but it's, it's surface. It doesn't mean it's not true, but it's surface. There's so much more. If you were to get me and Steve to look at an, an agenda, agenda's the wrong word, but look at a, a place to go that God's speaking to us, both of us will come to an absolutely different way to get there, a different method to get there, but all in the same spirit because we're both coming to the top of the mountain from a different side. And this is very important because even this morning, I may share something with you going, oh, I've been waiting to hear that. I, I've been in the audience because my pastor never says that. So if you have one of those moments, it's not because he's not teaching you the right thing. It's because I'm giving a perspective from the other side of the mountain for you to see so then you can add to your journey where you're at. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that with our relationship with God. Um, of sharing how this morning's offering, I, I'm going to have to really be honest with this is going to be as... I can't always say I enjoy offering messages. <laughs> Especially when I'm the one who has to give them. Like, okay, how do I, how do I, make, how do I communicate this? I usually don't. But I'll be honest with you, I sat there being ministered to in an offering message. It is the first for me. So I'm allowing my paradigm. I, I didn't mean I didn't like the message or I didn't agree with it or something. It just is like, eh, okay, that means we have seven more minutes before we get to, right? I, being honest, but this morning I just sat there going, this encapsulated way more than an offering. There was something powerful about what you actually are that was being revealed in your life. That's way different. See, I can try to teach you to be generous, but if you don't have a heart for generosity, it's just going to feel like you're just hitting a wall in God. When are you going to show up? And then you'll be in what's in it for me, and then when you don't get what's in it for me, then you become like Paul's close friends that go to look for something else because... God, you just didn't show up in the way I was expecting. So for those who, does anybody not know who we are? So I don't have to go through all that because I'm horrible at infomercials. But I do want to give you a slight update with Outbound Life of what's going on. Um, and I'm going to share it with you, but you have to hear it from we're family. So the things that happen with you, we get to share in that. And the things that happen with us, you get to share in. So it's not oh, wow, look what just happened there. This is you. This is you being a part of that. 
So one of the things that we were really focusing on when we first started is how do you go after the one and have it be valuable, right? Because you have to kind of undo your ministry mind, right? Because who wants to go? I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to go get one. Well, come on, brother, you need to expand your thinking just a little bit more. Hey, there's a way. Let's do marketing. Let's do whatever. And none of those things are right or wrong. They're just mechanisms that God will use at different times for what you need to do. But, but how about one? And I remember I told my, my board member who passed away a couple years ago, I said, so here's my plan. And I laid out how the woman at the well went after, or the woman at the well, Jesus went after the woman at the well. You know, it's only one of two places that God says there's wages for the laborer. I thought it was very interesting that he specifically says there's wages for the laborer and he's talking about going after one. That's kind of neat because that kind of takes care of it's worth it to do that. There's value of greatness in that. Of course, she changed the city, but I've, I find it interesting going after the one and he said to me, a couple years later, he goes, I'll be honest with you. I thought your ministry plan was horrible. Because <laughs> how are you going to do anything if you're just going after one? But see, when we get our mindset of going after one, we see value in humanity. When we see ourselves going after a group, we see a cause being formed. And it won't be long till that cause will take on its own identity, good or bad, and your identity will be tied to the cause, and anything that pushes back becomes the enemy of your cause. And the more it becomes in-depth in you, it will be hard to unpack that when God speaks to you about a person that may be attached to that cause. And humanity gets lost. And we see this in Scripture, and I'm going to lay some things out, but I want you to catch something that was, this will all tie into this morning's testimony and the offering is about the presence of God. Because we, how many here just would just love to see this place filled with a cloud that you are just lost and embalmed in his presence and God shows up? Well, get ready, get ready. Because we're gonna have one of those services this morning. And God's gonna show up and all of a sudden, you're just gonna sit there going, you're gonna just feel naked and unashamed in his presence. Well, some of you are already struggling with that one. But you're going to feel that, right? That's kind of the expectation. Tonight's service is going to, the glory's going to fall. His presence is going to be there. It's going to be overwhelming, the joy, all this stuff. But I want you to know something. Every time the presence of God came, it was glorious, but it reveals things. And you're going to find your false self comes fully alive in the middle of his presence. Now, we don't like that side. It's kind of like I just heard a minister at uh, my daughter's school was sharing, you know, we always pray for the anointing, the double anointing, oh, the triple anointing. Who knows? We probably have the quadruple anointing that will come on some special laying on the hands. He said, but you forget one thing. With every anointing that's good also comes all the problems that correspond with that anointing. I don't know if you could look at Paul's life and say, hey, I don't know how successful you actually were if we're going to measure it on the standards of what just happened. Um, you have nothing. And his final words are, I've been poured out like a drink offering. And it appears that nobody's drinking. <laughs> right? It's like, wow. And then you see Jesus. 
Man, he's changing. This is God himself coming down, walking among us, and his presence is there. And you would think everybody, if they could just feel Jesus in his presence, they would change. 120. 120. You want to talk about the most effective, ineffective ministry that God has ever put on the earth is Jesus and 120 people. I just want you to ponder that. And it doesn't mean God isn't interested in numbers. I mean, he wrote a book called Numbers. <laughs> it doesn't mean think small, so I'm going to limit myself and never really go much further than this. See, that's where you're going to see both sides of God. To some, he's saying, it's time to think bigger. To others, he's going to say, it's time to quit thinking about the thing and focus on the individual. It's both. We were talking about this yesterday. You know, there's so many things in Scripture. Well, is it, is it this or is it this? Is it this? It's kind of like when you don't know God, his mercy, and you truly understand your repentance. It's like, oh, my God. Look how good he is. We sing about his goodness, his goodness. Oh, my gosh, his goodness. It overwhelms me, his goodness. And then at some point, he asks you to go do something. Oh, that's works. That's law. But then you get one group that never knew his goodness and all they hear is law, but yet they still go do it. They need to know his goodness because they're not understanding his benefits. Plus, they're not very lively when they actually interact with someone, but they're doing. So I wanted to take a story because, um, and the, the person who writes this story most likely was written by himself a prophet, and he writes about his internal interactions with God. And if we read it from the perspective of just looking at the big picture, missing the heart of it, you're not going to see how this is an application directly to the Christian world today. He's a prophet. Now, how many before, in, in Sunday school or somewhere, have heard the story of Jonah and the whale? Okay. Now, how many have read that story since Sunday school? Okay, good. I bet you're still trying to focus on where did he actually get spit up? <laughs> did he have to walk from there, or did he go up the river and get dropped in front? I mean, what was the deal? Right? The fish becomes the focal point. But what we miss, it was all about his presence. So we're going to start real quick. In Jonah chapter 1, 1 through 3. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, first of all, how many wish they could hear the voice of God regularly? I see now your hands are going down. Wow, okay, you're catching on where we're going. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What did he flee from? The presence of the Lord. Not the word of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Now, in the presence is the word of the Lord. So I'm not trying to separate. But there was something in that because all of God's ways are mercy and truth. When you know the presence of God, you also start understanding the nature of God. 
And he says, but Jonah rose, fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So much can be summarized about this statement. Disobedient. I mean, come on, look how disobedient it is. How many of you have been told by God to do something and you still have not done it? But you know God's not trying to get that into you. He wants you to see something else. Because if I just deal with the fruit of your actions, I'm going to be spending my lifetime trimming branches. And guess what I found out from our mango tree that grows in our backyard that always overflows into our neighbor's yard is it doesn't stop growing. <laughs> so every year we have to go cut it because the neighbor complains that the mangoes are falling on the other side. Doesn't he realize the fruit that's there? Doesn't he, doesn't he care about the fruit of my life pouring over? And sometimes we wonder why. I don't understand why these people don't know who I am. I mean, God's with me, and I'm just trying to overflow my love on him. No, your, your branch is messing with their yard. Not everyone likes your fruit, even if it's good. Sometimes we have to put it into the right package and take it to the right place so it can be enjoyed by those who actually want the fruit. just a little side note there. But I want to, because our world is filled with this right now, and we can look at Jonah, but if we don't catch the heart of what God's trying to do in Jonah, see this whole story, one of the aspects, I, I do that now too, after we talked about that. The whole story's about this. No, the whole story's about 900 things that every time you read it, you're going to find something more. I just want to pull out the one out of the 899, Okay. One of the aspects here is Jonah walking with God and how God's presence pursues us. Jonah knew God. Jonah was a prophet of God. He went to the school of Elisha and with the school of prophets. Experience with God, knowing God, his nature, the spirit of God, he was well-versed in it. He knew exactly what was going on. And here's where his problem lied. This is written in the, the, in the archaeologists found the, the, not the scrolls, but they wrote on the, the tablets or whatever, of the king of Nineveh. So I want you to catch the king of Nineveh's heart towards Israel. I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. My prancing steeds, harnessed for my riding, plunged into the streams with their blood as into a river. Boy, this isn't really good, but I want you to catch all this. The wheels of my war chariot, which brings low the wicked and the evil. You see, what Assyria was doing was getting rid of the evil of the land. In their mind. You just talked about that. In their mind, they were getting rid of the evil of the land, so anything that stood against them was evil. This is the thinking of the people. The wheels of their war chariot, which brings low the wicked and the evil, were bespattered with blood and filth. With the bodies of their warriors, I filled the plain like grass. This was written on the wall as pride of the nation of Assyria. This is the nation 
that was about ready to come into Israel. Do you know where we get a crucifixion from? Not the Romans. The Romans adopted it from another group of people, the Assyrians. The Syrians mastered the cross and the spike, and they would hang them and skin the people as a, as a memento of who they were. It was like listening to fake news all day long, just being bombarded. Every time someone comes through, they're reminded of these corpses that are lining the streets. And the fear of Assyria, which was their objective, dominated the people. Now, Jonah is not a fearful person. Jonah isn't running because he's scared of the Assyrians. As a prophet, you were probably most likely have a shortened lifespan anyway, because the moment someone didn't like what you prophesied, they killed you. So this wasn't about the occupation. God, I'm not ready for that occupation yet. I like the goodness in my house and all that. He was already geared, so his own personal well-being was not in a thought process. But he loved Israel. He loved God's people. And he hated the lowly dogs that weren't God's people. He was biased. And this is what happens when we let the evils in our life, the circumstances that surround us, a horrible car incident happen and we form an opinion about who God is and the people involved. God, you said you would bless me and now my car's rear-ended. Where's your favor now? You said, what about Psalm 91? You said you would protect me and now my car is all banged up. You said you would do this. Oh, God, where are you? Well, then you go to another group and say, well, God's just sovereign. He's just randomly doing something on a chessboard just to see how you're going to react. It's neither one of those two things. You see, when you're living selfless, those situations aren't about you. But it's so easy in our false self, and I'm going to use this term. You know, we have a three-part being. We have a spirit. We have a soul, and we have a, a body, right? We're designed as believers to live from our spirit to influence our body and our soul so we can live out. As a fallen person, we allow the environment to dictate and we live in. Okay? So that's, we're trying to, so you can't live Christianity by getting in a different Christian environment hoping that you're going to get different fruit. It, it has to come from the inside and it flows out. That's why Jesus can comfortably say, don't look for a kingdom. Don't look here, over there, it's coming over here. It's already in you. He wasn't saying you're a God to yourself and nothing else is happening. He was saying how the kingdom works. He plants himself in a people and something emerges and shapes the things around him. It had to do with more the origination of how the kingdom gets established, not coming from the outside, then everything will be better. Because we'll still be mad how he does the plumbing, street cleaning, bike lanes. Someone else is going to get a benefit that you're not and it's still going to bother you. See, if, that, if that's how it works... Right? We don't die just to get to heaven so we don't have problems. We'll still be complaining there. Why are you wasting all this gold on streets? (laughs) 
I'm, I, it just baffles my mind that we don't want to walk with God here, but somehow we want to live with him forever. Just ponder that just for a moment. God, you're not doing enough here. I'm still complaining. Things aren't good. What about me? What about me? And then when we get there, it's still not going to be about you. But it's going to be all about you. Your true self. So your true self is what you find joy in the presence. Right? Because isn't that what Psalm says? Psalm 1611 you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So why is Jonah not experiencing this? He knew the ways. All his ways are mercy and truth. Because he later on says, just let me give you a little sneak peek into his thinking, Jonah 4.2. He's now sitting on the side and He's already gone through the fish process and been spit up. And he said, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Did we not talk about this when I was in your presence? And this is the most fascinating thing about just that little point. When you walk in the presence of God, there is dialogue. He is not looking for blind obedience. He's looking for a way to persuade your heart. And this is what's powerful. Jonah felt comfortable enough in the presence of the Lord to share his opinion about his idea. There is a difference between rebelling and bringing a place of your heart saying, I can't get alongside with, with you on that. Didn't Jesus say... I would rather have someone who says no and then later on comes back than to have someone says yes but doesn't go through with it. Because the one who says no, God can do something with that heart. There's just something they need to see because he already carried the character of a prophet. He already had the identity of a prophet. He already knew God. So now God is going to spend time persuading Jonah and this whole book is about him persuading Jonah. Yet this whole book is about saving Israel. Yet this whole book is about saving some guys on a ship that end up getting in a storm and almost dying because the guy decides to go get on a boat that didn't belong there to begin with. It's all about that. It's all of it. Because God's caring about the individual and the bigger picture and he has all these lenses he's working at one time. But Jonah mattered to God. And this is part of the encouragement this morning is you may have had God speak to you. You may have been in his presence. You may have had something happen that came alive and then you moved away from it. And most likely, if you're honest with him, you moved away because you just couldn't see what he was seeing. It caused you to deal with your false self, just the same way with Adam and Eve when Jesus said, came into the presence and Adam and Eve were hiding in the bush. And it's funny, God always asks questions in the presence. He doesn't tell you something in the presence. He asks you questions in the presence. Why would he ask questions in the presence? He already knows the answer. But when you answer the question, it reveals what person you're speaking from. It reveals your fear or it reveals your confidence. It reveals something. 
So he says, Lord, when I was still in my country, therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. How many have run from God because he's good? I want you to ponder that for a moment. We see his goodness, we sing about his goodness, yet then when God speaks to us, we run from his goodness. Because your false self can't handle the goodness. Again, back to the question, when Adam and Eve were in the bush, he said, why are you hiding? As if he didn't know. Hey, why are you hiding? You know, and then the fingers start pointing. Isn't this true when we get into self-protective mode? Uh, uh, not me, not me, not me. Victim, 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 victim here. It's not my fault. Right? Because fear is either self-protective or self-promoting. I either have to tear you down or justify my victimization while I'm here. You just look around your world at those who have bought in the most to some of the most absurd things we have ever heard in our planet, and you're wondering, how can you think that way? And then we get mad that they think that way, so we think that insulting them in the dumbness that they're thinking is actually going to persuade them. But all it does is reinforce their position that they must be right because you're mad. Because they won't let their identity go. This was, this was very well clear even in uh, Solzhenitsyn when he was in the gulag. After about 10 years, they, him and his, they're tortured, everything else, the misery of the communist gulag, which somehow that's a utopia for today. I, I'm not sure how we get there. But I suppose if we're all miserable at the same degree, we're equal. Right? That, that's an even trade. But there would be someone who came in that was part of a devout, they were devout to the Communist Party, and they would get thrown into the gulag. So Solzhenitsyn and his friends, they had a revelation, something's wrong here. But they found it amazing that the people wouldn't see it. And they kept just kind of having fun with them and poking fun with them and, and messing around with them and saying, hey, how's your party doing? Boy, if your, your party should save you, you shouldn't, you know, and they just would mess with them. And to the death they would hold to that belief because their identity became so engaged with their ideology that if you got rid of their ideology, it would strip what they are. And the idea that you have lived a life that could have caused atrocities on other people and to find out you're wrong about that would rip you your insides out. So it is better just to hold on to the lie than to deal with what that would cause. Okay, now let's get back to Jonah. Jonah's feeling this. Jonah didn't want Assyria to be saved because Assyria was the evil of all evils. But he saw a group. We see later on in the story that after it, uh, of course, he goes in. Um, oh, let, me, let me side to this. This is very important. There's two pieces. God always works with truth, and he always works with mercy. So if you say we just need to be more kind and all mercy, but you never insert truth, it's not God's way. If you always walk in truth and never insert mercy, you're destructive. Both are as damaging as you could possibly get. They're both required for the gospel to actually change a person's heart. You have to have the truth filled with mercy and a navigation to where you can go. 
Because God's truth does not speak to your broken man. God's truth speaks to your real man and forces you into a decision about your old man. It always speaks to what you really are. Most of us don't hear God because we're trying to see him because we're broken versus seeing him in the position that we're designed to be. And the more we see ourselves in the position we're designed to be, the less little things we quit asking for that aren't necessary because we already have it. But mercy is required. And sometimes Jonah has forgotten that the only reason Israel exists is because of the unrighteousness of another nation, not their righteousness that gave them the promised land in Deuteronomy. It was the unrighteousness of the other nation. In fact, it says that God waited all those years for them to get out because the unrighteousness of the people in Canaan had not come to fulfillment yet. He was still looking for them to change. I love how people say, you know, this verse, when you hear Jonah hearing, if I tell him, I know you're going to have mercy on him. I know you're going to forgive him. I know you're going to restore him. I know you're going to do all these things. And I don't think they deserve any of it. How easy it in our current culture with the satanic side trying to bombard you with the lies. And the most thing that you could do, this thing Satan is really baiting you into is deal with them on the same level. Because you're just like, now you're trapped. Victims, victim mentality, I should say, the victim mentality will always reproduce in a worse way the oppression that happened to them. It will always reproduce it. Okay, we should get happy here, just a moment here. So a major step, a challenge in the presence of God is being willing to step away from our past experiences and expectations and allowing God's presence to persuade our heart into something new. When you come into his presence and he speaks something to you, the question should be, okay, this is true. Now, Father, show me how to get there. The truth is I have no concept of how to walk in the thing you just asked me to do. I have no concept. Give me a new concept. Open my eyes to see it. Peter does this. If you remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, God's good. God's just amazing. He's so humorous too, by the way. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. See, when the goodness of God hits, the presence of God, it reveals something about what you're not. And it is so easy for us to run into, I'm not worthy, I'm just sinful. God was not providing fish for a sinful man. He was providing fish for the man that would become fisher of men. And that moment was the opening, the the, the eye-opening experience for him to change. It's funny how God uses fish to open our eyes. I don't know, maybe we should have a fish market outside. God uses a whale to bring Jonah to repentance. God uses the fish to bring Peter to repentance. Fishing, I guess, is just part of the deal. Maybe they just did it for the halibut. I don't know. Sorry. It was there. It was just floating out there. I just, I saw it. I saw it. God, forgive me. I'll step back into my new self. 
So he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, and before I read what he says, I just love this. When God's presence shows up, when the person will allow the identity to rise in the presence of who God says they are, it affects everything else around them. Peter is bowing, but yet everyone in the community or who will be affected by the fish is going, oh my goodness, Peter, go fishing with him again. Who is this? What happened? And he said, do not be afraid. See, in the presence, your old man who lives by fear, who's authored by fear, who functions out of fear, has to be dealt with, so don't be afraid. Don't listen to that man anymore. Now, this is a little metaphorically because Peter and Jonah are not born again yet. So it's a picture. It's a mosaic. So don't go and say, well, Brian said, how can this happen? I'm just, I'm giving the metaphor of what's going on here. God is revealing a picture. He's speaking to the true person. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And in Matthew 4, 19, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you into the thing that I said that you were. See, you can't make yourself into the thing God calls you. He makes you. It's he that works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's good news. So if you say, I, well, I know he's asking me to do, but I don't know how to do that. Right. But don't think you're just going to go by the Spirit and start becoming a mechanic and you've never picked up a wrench before. You're going to wreck someone's car. So he will develop you into doing the thing that you're called to do. So you don't have to worry about that. We don't need a miracle for your gift to come out. It's an outflow of what you are. Isn't that what we just talked about this morning? It is what you are. You're a carrier presence. Why do you think and think about the Ark of the Covenant? They couldn't touch the Ark or they would die, but when the presence were there, prosperity, success, everything that needed for them to flourish in the identity as being children of God function when the presence was there. Where's the Ark now? Oh, come on, not Indiana Jones. They're not searching for it. The reason you can't find it is because God put the ark in you. You're the carrier of the ark. So when you go someplace, the reality is you're bringing the presence of God into that situation. Now, if you operate from the false self and stuff starts going on, you're like, oh, God, what's going on? And if you'll step back and listen, what's happening is like, who are you? And then we see the testimony and the impact of that life because someone was allowing their true self to reveal the presence because you are the thing that people will meet God with. We love how God's just gonna, you know, we hear great testimonies of God just showing up in visions. That can happen, it happened to Paul. But it triggered something that was already on the inside of him. It wasn't just random. So we see this happen, he gets called, I'm gonna make you a fisherman, Peter's doing his thing, he's, He's going along, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is now taken prisoner. Peter denies him three times. He sees the people. He sees what the people are doing. He sees the evil of the people. Of course, he doesn't want to connect with the people because he's also afraid of the people. But you know what he still is? He's still the leader. 
So Jesus re reveals himself two times, and this is the third time he comes back. I'm not sure if it was the same beach, but it makes a better story. Back to the same beach. <laughs> but he doesn't just say, hey, Peter, I'm here. Third time. Third time, the presence of God visibly in Jesus shows up to him. But this time he's cooking. He's having a fish fry. I'm not, I'm not lying. He had breakfast, fish fry. He's sitting on, Jesus is sitting on the beach, God, cooking. They kind of think this could be, but they don't know. They get closer, and all of a sudden, Peter realizes Jesus and puts his coat on, jumps in the water. I'm not sure what that helped. <laughs> but something was being covered up. He recognized he wasn't in the identity that he was created for. So he had to cover that identity because when the presence comes, it's going to reveal what you really are. And many of you are afraid to come because of wrath. Many of the world say, I'm not coming to the presence of God. He'll reveal what I am. But that's not how God is. He reveals who you really are. Now let go of the false. Repent of the false because this is what you really are. And he calls you into something. So Peter isn't Jesus leaves, and his first instructions is fish for men, and he's back to fishing to care for himself, to care for the disciples, because, you know, we got to hoard up, so we need like eight years of supplies because the Assyrians are coming, as if the Assyrians aren't going to figure out that you're hoarding up all your supplies. Like, they're pretty good at taking everything. Nothing, no gold or silver was found in Nineveh when it collapsed, because Babylon took it all. So, Patriot supply is pretty good, but I'd rather have Jesus just fishing on the beach. So then he pulls aside Peter, and I want you to catch these words just for a moment. And this is going to be in John 21, 9 through 19. And as soon as they come to land, they fill out a fire of coals there and the fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. I know, there is probably some spiritual significance to that. It really doesn't matter. He just knew how much was in the, the basket. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. So they all joined the huddle house. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Isn't that funny? In the presence of God, we don't really want to ask questions. They knew who he was. But if, maybe if he doesn't say it, we don't have to fully cover ourselves in the way that we once were. So maybe if we just don't know, we can be ignorant. And so, to come and eat breakfast, nobody wanted to say anything. And then Jesus, in verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. I, I love this in the goodness and presence of God is God goes back to Peter in the same manner that he found him. And he connected to Peter and goes into another level. He actually serves Peter fish and bread. And if you ponder, it's like, oh, God's just our servant. God is not your servant. Oh, but he serves. God is the creator high above that we should bow to. Yet he does things like this. Like it's yes 
whatever's going to persuade your heart into a life entering into what he designed you to be. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and he's so kind to wait till after he had eaten. So some of you is like, I wake up early and I don't hear anything. Just go have breakfast. I mean, just the thought, the Bible says it. See, we can take that literally. The Bible says it, have breakfast first, then he talks. And it says in, so Jonah, I, I, love, I love what he says here. And I didn't catch this. I, when I was praying over this message several months ago, I was reading Jonah, and then I was connected on the fish. So I just jumped over there because of the fish. I wasn't trying to make something happen. So I read it. I'm like, oh, wow, I can, see the pic- I can see the parallels. Oh, this is really cool. And then I never really caught until I was about ready to go speak when I was in Thailand, son of Jonah. Now, I know, I know. I know, Steve, I know. It's not the Jonah, the prophet. It was just a name that corresponded, and it probably was a different wording, right? He's so, he's so smart. Every time I think of something, it's like, well, da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, okay, let me go rethink that. <laughs> but I believe it was written there on purpose. Why would you call him by his last name three times? There's something Peter connected to in this conversation. Again, that's, that's Brian, and take it as you will. But nevertheless, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Most Christians across the board will say, do you love God? Yes. Yes, I love God. I don't like people. But I love God. In fact, we had the joke in Bible school is ministry would be awesome if it wasn't for the people. True? And I know there's a joke there, and there's not. I want to do the cause without the problems. And then what we don't realize is we are the problem. Thus, we, in Europe, we have empty buildings that are beautiful because there's no problems there. There's cemeteries and no people. It's not changing anything, but it's beautiful. So do you love me? And he said, you, you know, I, I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, son of son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Said to them, tend to my sheep. Said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah. You know, if God repeats something, there might be something there. There there might be something there. The third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? But Brian, we're not supposed to have to do works to get God to love us and to do all these things. Works aren't a part of it. It's, it's what he says about us. It's our relationship with him that's the priority. It's not about what we do, it's who we are. If who you are isn't doing something, then you're not living. 
So let's don't eliminate half of our identity and half of our existence because we put it in the wrong order. But there is a doing that corresponds to your identity. Your purpose, your purpose and your, your name reveals your purpose. That's where your fulfillment is. We were fulfilled to grow. We were fulfilled to branch. We were fulfilled in, in accomplishing. What we weren't supposed to do is to get God to do something based on what we did. But once you know God, he's going to send you back out because deep in your heart you want to do something. So he said to him, so he's grieved now. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You, knew that I, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. This doesn't necessarily apply to every person, but there is a picture here in this statement. This is directing towards Peter's very specific role in the kingdom, but there's a picture here that we can all get a hold of. When you first come into the kingdom, you come from bondage as a whole, and you enter into this life of goodness. You're free. You're free for the first time. You're free to make decisions. You're free to choose. You're free to function. You're free to grow in this relationship. You're going where you will. You're, you're free. But as you mature, you find yourself becoming a slave. It's kind of an oxymoron. You start as a slave, you get free, and now you're back to it. But that's where the fulfillment is. Because pretty soon, what you were is dying off, and what you are is fully alive. That's why Paul said, hey, I would rather go. I'm at a crossroads. I can go or I can stay. I would rather get out of here. But for your sake, I'm sticking around to deal with what you just read. That's what he got to deal with. But for their sakes, he stuck around. Pretty soon, your Christian life isn't about what you get out of it. It's for the sake of the people that you're there for. Now to those that have been serving and serving and working and working and serving and serving and working and working, and it's like, God, you're just not showing up, da-da-da-da-da, God may say it's time for a rest. But that doesn't mean for those that have been resting for years to not work. See, that's why it's both. Is it resting? Is it working? Which one is it? It's both. It depends on what's keeping you in the identity with him in his presence as you're functioning. So he says, when you're young, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Pretty soon your purpose will get out of your control and it will be in complete control with him. And pretty soon you're functioning with him. Fulfilled. Not easy. Not happy all the time, but joyful. This he spoke, signifying of what death he would glorify God. And when he had got done speaking this, and he told the truth to Peter. I want you to catch this. He didn't come, oh, Peter, don't worry. I know you betrayed me. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I know you're out here. Here, let's have a bonfire. In fact, let's start bonfire ministry. And I want you to start bonfires on the side of the road, and let's just start a cookout. Let's do cookout ministry. Okay, Peter, that's where you're at in life. Let's just do cookout ministry. I get it. So from your false self, where you're the most comfortable in your false self, I just want to soothe that a little bit so you don't have to do much more than the cookout. 
this is true, and we're all guilty at some point. At some point, we all tend to do this, and that's why we need friends and different things in our life to say, you need to slow down. You need to speed up. Like, it's both. But he said, follow me. And I thought it was interesting. He kept asking about the sheep. By the way, a little side note about sheep. You know what sheep are for? Eating, sacrificing, and getting wool from. Any farmers can tell me what else they're for? They're not for pets. They don't make good pets. Think about that. We're all sheep. Jesus is the lamb. Oh, he's so soft and gentle and sacrificial. And he's the lion at the same time. He's both. We're both lions and lambs. But just so you have a concept of feeding a sheep, he was preparing the sheep for what was about to come. He was preparing the sheep for what they really were. He was preparing the sheep for in their purpose. But he didn't like the sheep because the sheep he's going to have to have just put Jesus on a cross. He don't want those people to be sheep. And you, you will hear it in his first message in Acts that he's preaching when the Spirit of God comes on him and he finally operates truly from the right spirit. And he brings truth. See, you can't just say God's good, God loves you, he loves you right where you're at, he loves you, he loves you. He does. These are true statements. And by the way, some people need to hear that. They've never been loved before. They've always been rejected. They've always been pushed out. They have never experienced the grace of God. They've tried to earn it. They feel disqualified. They feel burned. All these things have happened to them. The love of God breaks that. We have to have the love and mercy of God. But on the other side, those sweet words of, but we have to change our thinking because you're here because of you. And I'm here to save you from yourself that is killing you. Sorry, Mitchell, I just walked off the outside of the camera. And so we see this um, in Acts 20, chapter 2, verse 36 through 37. This is the closing of his message, the first gospel message. I want you to hear what the first gospel message is. Like, people want to know, so what's the, what actually is the gospel? Like, what are we presenting? Like, is it a certain word? Is it a certain phrase? It's the grace of God, saved by faith, salvation in our Savior who died, rose again, shed his blood, provided everything for us, is sitting at the right hand of the Father and invites us into that fellowship. Right? But you have to start with another piece, and this is where truth comes in. And truth in his presence is always happening. It's always speaking. It's not condemning you. It's lifting you to your true self. And it's all filled with mercy. So you can go, oh my gosh, I am living that way. And there's zero condemnation from him. And he says, so come on, let's think differently. That, that's his interaction. But it's the most unloving thing to let someone stay in their victimization. It is the most unloving thing to not tell the truth. It is the most unloving thing to jam the truth because I don't care about you and you're in my way. You're hindering my life. As Jonah would later be, God had to speak to him about this. 
God had to speak to him in a manner that he so valued this dumb little tree that gave him shade. He loved that tree. He loved it. He named it. He talked to it. He had 40 days. There's not a whole lot of reading. There was no Google. There was nothing. It was dirt and a tree and hot. So he loved that tree, talked to it. And then God the next day brings a worm up, kills the tree. And he's grieved. <laughs> What'd you do to me? God, where's your presence at? You said you'd be with me. Now my car's hit. My tree's withered. My garden is, rabbits are all over in the garden, because that's what rabbits do, in case you didn't know. The deer, now I gotta go hunting. Right, there's always something going on and we love those things. We have our territory, we have our way of living, we have our life and we, we fight for our cause and we fight for our territories and that's important. It's important God fought for territories. It's all important. But if you miss the spirit of why he's doing it, it's no different than the enemy. It's just about you and how it affects you. I don't know if you realize this, just a little side note, besides the evil that goes on in the world, the number one reason people vote is because of how it benefits them. I mean, that's the reality. We pick jobs. Most of you pick jobs, not because God's really just called me to this place. As long as they pay X, Y, and Z, therefore now God's calling me over here because they pay a little bit better and the benefits are better. God really blessed me with this job. I got all the benefits. I got this great pay. I got this great salary. God must have been blessing me because he gave me the tree. Then the next minute you're in it and you hate your work, but you're getting paid well, so you stick it out. Now we're mad that God stuck you here. Why'd you put me here? Because you keep living from your false self, and I was trying to tell you don't live from that, but my mercy's there. So my mercy is there to help you, but if you don't let the false self go away, you get end up right back in the same thing and miserable again. You know, all, all the stuff that goes on, we can look at one group, I can't believe they did that, they're so evil, blah, 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 blah. Then the other group is resist, 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 right? But then this person over here will compromise a little bit because I had to feed my family. I had to take care of things. Then this group over here is like, I couldn't execute in the way I morally felt obligated to because I didn't want to lose my license, I didn't want to lose my job, I didn't want to, it's all being driven by their false selves. That's why you can't answer it that way. There has to be something deeper, and that's what God was telling Jonah. If you will live from your true self and go tell them the truth with my mercy, things can happen. That, yeah, that's a, good, that's a great place right there. See, what Jonah didn't realize is Nineveh's repentance would save Israel. Jonah didn't realize Nineveh's repentance would save Israel. Peter didn't realize his repentance would save Israel. We don't realize that us just stepping into our true self where the presence of God can flow from our true selves that lives are being affected and you don't even know it. What we also don't realize is when we live in our false self, we're actually hurting things around us and we don't even know it. It's, it's so critical. This is why God pursues and he pursues and he pursues. 
You know, we look about the presence, we see Cain, God coming and visiting, talking to Cain. Cain, hey, uh, where's your brother? I don't know, I'm not my brother's keeper. False self, right? Then he kills him. Well, he goes, well, hey, I, his blood's talking to me, so something happened here. Cain was like, well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> kind of walks away, and then he realizes what he has done. You'd think he'd realize before. But you know what? We don't. Because like you said, we justify what we do. You don't do anything evil without justifying a righteous cause in it. Your psychology will not let you do something evil. You become evil because you believe it's right. That's why it says in Jonah, the Ninevites didn't know their left hand from their right hand. They didn't know it. Am I getting too deep here? Okay. So we see this with Jonah. He didn't realize that this would change everything for him. It would change the thing he was believing. The thing he was believing for was answered in him letting go of his false fears and self-protection and self-preservation, stepping into the presence of God, going to a people that God was asking him to do in the mercy that God wanted him to and go and bring freedom. That would bring the justice that the world was actually looking for. And there's times where we do things that you know God wants us to do it and we do it and our hearts just, we're still mad about it. But we do it. But God will still keep coming to persuade. Peter still had to be persuaded to go to the centurion because he was a Gentile. He still had to be persuaded. So God had to show up in the dream to reveal, I've made it all clean. Why is he doing this? Because he wants the conviction of conscience in Peter to be pure not just constantly feel like he's thwarting something against himself. He's taking the time to persuade him till it becomes his own thought that this is right. That's what presence does. Jonah at the end, keep in mind this is important, he kind of closes out with verse 10 of Jonah chapter 4. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? God made Nineveh personal. It wasn't a thing. This idea that God was just in the Old Testament just slaughtering people is so not true on every level. Well, if God was so good, why is all this evil happening? I think it's the wrong question. If there is no God, how can there be any good? Any good. It's God's presence pursuing people even when he does, they don't accept them that there's any good relevant at all on this planet. How much more when we receive that? Did you not have pity on the 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? Can we see even the people that can't see the right hand from their left? I don't even know if they know how they have hands sometimes. But can't we see the human? 
that's on the other side of them. Well, Brian, what are you saying? Just have mercy on it and just let it all go and just let them do what they want? No, because that's not God's way. Well, bless God, I'll hop on Facebook and tell them what I think. Well, that's not God either. It's mercy and truth. It's stepping in where you can look beyond the nonsense of their false self and see what God's seeing in that human and speak truth to that and allow yourself to be present to help bring them out. That facilitates change. It is a powerful thing. We had one of our young men in, uh, came through our program. He now is working with us. He does all of our video. He's very, he's amazing. He's just an amazing young man. And so I asked, what, what does God want to do? And that's something even when they're working for us, what, what's God called you to do? How can we germinate that? How can we facilitate that? And so he goes, I want to go into Myanmar. So he went into, uh, into the Shan state. So just so you know, the region. So we just launched in February, March, first time in there. So February, March, Shan state is the Golden Triangle where all the opium was produced. So the Shan people have ran the opium fields for forever. Forever. Their whole livelihood is the opium. And we have connections in there and understanding how that works. And... The other part is the country is a dictatorship. The, in the southern area, we have the Karin and the Shan, and if you've ever seen the ministry Free Burma Rangers, by the way, I'd recommend watching the movie Free Burma Rangers. Uh, there's a Christian organization that's gone in to help deal with the revolution that's the, excuse me, the civil war that's been going on for over 40 some years. It's the longest running civil war on the earth is this region. Because the Burmese, Burmese keep trying to genocide this group of people, so they fight back. And so this is going on. So we're in the northern part. They kind of leave them alone because they control all the opium. So it's still conflicting. So this is the world that we're going into. And the government's really generous with their electricity. They give an hour a day, and it's at 3 in the morning. So anything you need to do at night, just stay up till 3, and it might be on. But don't get too used to it, because the moment everybody gets used to the three, then they'll switch the time. So no light. So our guys, we went in and we started the leadership program. Now, Yoon, who's with us, God has just transformed his life as a believer, but he's the only one in his family who's a Christian. And so, but his father has seen his life and said, I want to help run the, bring the program here. So his father has brought in these young men to start in the leadership side that he thought were leaders in the community and for us to start our program, so we did. And um, we used to do our program where it's just really soft and just really bringing everybody in and making everybody feel comfortable and welcome and come on, sit down and feed them and lavish them and continue. And then we realized this ain't working. So we made it hard. So funny. See, when it's hard, it's valuable. Now, you're going to have to apply. You can't apply these things across the board. You have to let God, with who you are, dictate how you deal with everything. Some people have never seen mercy, and all they know is hard, and they need to see the softness of God. But for something to be valuable, it has to have a cost. See, Christianity, our salvation was free, but it'll cost you everything. The idea there's no cost to it is an absolute lie. 
There's nothing you could pay to get it, but once you get it, it's going to cost you everything because you can't be what you were and still have it. All right? So he's not an addendum to your insurance policy. Well, my insurance only covers this much, so if I add the 20% over here, he can cover that, and then I can go on living my life, and I'm pretty secure. He's not that. It's an all-in situation. So this young man, and we do the reverse, and we've just learned, and again, this is the great thing. What God has put in your heart to do to touch the life of someone else is unique to you. It's your DNA. It's your footprint, fingerprint. It's how you've related. It's how you function with God in your true self. And that's why it's very important that I think it's powerful that the final point that we get is the moment we hear God speak to us, I know I have two stories going at the same time. I will close them out. When we hear God speak to us, then we finally accept, oh, this is true about my life. And we immediately turn and say, well, what about him? What about her? What do they have to do? Because obviously if I have to have be the one that's being carried on my own, uh, I hope they're joining me too because that would be fair, right? And Jesus looked at Peter and said, what is it to you? If I want him to live forever, that's my business. You see, that's where we get rid of the comparison. So if we can get rid of your false self wants to compare, because once you settle into your group, then your false self wants to rise up and say, I know, and I'm not going to be the only one suffering here. <laughs> you start the new diet, and then you want everybody else on it too. <laughs> Bless God, if I'm going to be miserable not eating, you're not eating either. That's self-promotion. You want to keep someone else that looks free down because you're trying to come up. It's not how God functions. What he wants you to do is just live it and you'll inspire people. And then they'll ask, how'd you do it? Well, it's hard. And it's going to be painful. And your flesh ain't going to like it. I don't know any discipline that your flesh actually likes. So that I'm still looking for that verse that says, God, I surrender to you. I want to be discipled by you. Just make it easy. <laughs> oh, but Brian, now you're saying it's almost impossible. It is impossible. That's where Jesus captures our heart and starts pulling us in, and we start seeing him more, and we start seeing him more, and it becomes more worth it and becomes more worth it. And the next thing you know, like my son, he started training for a marathon, and he want, didn't want to run. And now he's running 18 miles. And I'm like, I went and ran with him. I'm like, I don't like it either. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be a marathoner. Well, except my son. But he didn't do it because he, he wanted to see what he could do. He wanted to see how he could push himself. What do I have? You have this body that God gifted you with. You have things that you could do. and You haven't even tapped the surface of our, our cranial capacities. We're to invent, we're supposed to do, but out as a spirit of God for the sake of people. It's no longer so I can make my fortune. I'm going to cut my little piece, then I'll be against those bad guys because their policies are affecting my little, my little bush that's good cover giving me shade. Now I'm really mad when you're touching my property. That, that isn't the freedom God was looking for. So we see this, these young men, they're coming into the leadership program and they have a hard fitness thing they have to do. They have some mental stuff. They have reading to do. Reading. Try to get a young man to read and like it. So they have to read. They have to write a report. They have to do these things. And at the end, once they finish that, they get to go to another level of that. 
and they love it. And so I don't even like doing the things that we're asking them to do. So I started doing them. I'm like, wow, I really don't like these things. And they did it. And so in, our, in Thailand, what we do for them, once they complete the challenge, they get a new pair of shoes. So they get so much towards a pair of soccer cleats. I know, and we're not a sport ministry. We give them a new pair of shoes so they can remember they're higher than what they were before. They have something to look down on. I'm, I'm not walking in the same treads that I once was. I'm walking in something new. We're very deliberate about what they get. But in Myanmar, they didn't care about the shoe. They wanted light. So when they completed, they didn't know it. The thing that they got for completing was a solar panel light for their house. And I will go up on Wednesday. So if you go to outboundlife.org on Wednesday, they post a video of the, these three guys' thankfulness that their mom can finally cook at night because they can see. The joy of having light. Light. Simple little thing. How did we get there? How did it go from them getting light? Was it just the challenge that they did? No, because they didn't really know what they were earning when they did the challenge. They just wanted to grow. We, we're prom we want to help you develop. So we had something. Then they get this light. But how did the light get to them? Well, we sponsored the light. Well, how did this, the light sponsorship come? Because we have church and bodies like you that help sponsor so we could do things like this. But how did that come? Because at some point, we had to look, me and Valerie had to look at our false selves and say, I can't do it, but this is where we're supposed to go. And we started zero. And then father us. And we get there to now they have light. See, everything comes when we live in our true self. There's a progression. There's something more powerful. We're bringing light to a dark place, a dictatorship. And you know what the thoughts that we're teaching them is this. It doesn't matter where you're at. The kingdom of God and their principles work no matter what. They're beyond hoarding food. They're beyond trying to get all their own solar panels up so when the, the apocalypse happens, they're, they're safe on their compound. I'm not against those things. But don't spiritualize it to me. Don't put fear on me. If you want to do that, do it. Whatever God's telling you to do, but we're not looking to the other guy who's not doing it saying, well, man, wait, what happens? Oh, no, this is how it works. Do you know what happens in the book of Acts? There was a prophecy that came that there's famine going to hit Jerusalem. So you know what the people did that weren't in Jerusalem is they hoarded up food for themselves. No. They got food and started sending it to Jerusalem. They began proactive because their identity was secure. Their, the who they were and the presence of God and what they were to God now, I'm, I'm kind of joking a little bit, so don't take me too seriously on any of that. I just know this is our world. This is what we're battling every day. It's bombarded on every, I think I heard that commercial like 17 times in an hour. And it's easy to let fear and your false self come in and say, oh man, maybe I'm not being wise. Maybe I could be a little bit wiser. And we don't realize the person that's telling us is profiting off that information. They succeed in your fear. Good or bad things, they succeed in your fear. They're not teaching me how to live differently. I like it how we're supposed to all grow gardens. Well, what happens if you live in an apartment in the city? 
Does God care about us too? I can only put three pots on, according to my lease arrangement on the thing, and I don't think that's enough to supply. I know you need to stockpile all of this X, Y, and Z. I can't even afford to eat tomorrow. How am I supposed to be stockpiling? Do you see how fear starts creeping in? And then you're not being good. You're not being wise. You're not being these things. This is false self. You step back into identity. God, this stuff is happening around us. Who am I to it? And what is your response from me to do? And it will always have a little tagline that says, give what you have. And generosity in the spirit is way more than money. It is a living because God is walking in your presence. God brought Jonah. First class accommodations. No other passengers. <laughs> Fully protected. <laughs> Fully protected. Fully in his presence. And I know in the book of Jonah it closes out like Jonah didn't get it. I think he wrote it for us to get it but it also shows our, our, our blindness over time. Keep letting God's presence come because it doesn't matter what stage you are, you're going to hit something new where you're going to discover a perspective, a bias, something that is planted that you never had to deal with before because you've never been to this place before. And in that place when you're like, oh God, I can't do that, then you step back again, God, your presence. Why am I living for my false self? But I don't know how to go further because this is all I know. Will you father me into the next phase? And you break territories and people start watching and the territories break. And now you're on a journey that's amazing. It's an amazing journey. I'm going to have you stand on your feet. For some reason, I think there's a hanging story somewhere, somewhere in there. We had a young girl. Uh, she got born again through, she's a girlfriend of one of the people in our program, and she got born again as part of our fellowship, and it's just amazing to watch someone to go from being Buddhist, a complete, radically one way of thinking. It is a dynamic thinking that is so different than our Western thinking. It's just so different. She gets saved, meets Jesus. Thank God Jesus isn't Western. He's kingdom, so it works, and she started getting hold of the idea of what our identity is and, and how to not live from our false self and how we can live from our true self in that, that process. And she also is uh, a legal worker in Thailand, but she is Burmese, so she doesn't have citizenship. So there's a limit where she can travel within the country. Not only that is she was born in Thailand, but to get citizenship when you're born in Thailand but you're not Thai is almost impossible. But if she was born in Burma and came over, she could get citizenship. I know, I know. That's wrong. That's unjust. <sighs> victim. But she won't let herself be a victim. God opened up the door that kind of opened travel to him in Thailand, so they don't have to just go zone to zone. But none of anyone in her family had ever flown on a plane, no one had ever traveled besides what you can do in the car within the province of, that they were living. 
And God spoke to her and said, I want you to go fly. So she went and bought her first ticket, airplane ticket. She was going to fly to southern Thailand. And she went up and she gave the ticket and showed the ID. And the lady at the counter tried to scan the ID. And she says, your ID won't work. You're not a citizen. Kind of like the, 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 you get the driver's license. It's either certified or it's not certified. You know, but you can use this one to get the other. OK, I won't do that. So this is the problem. And fear just started taking over. She started remembering again how we were talking about the story of, of Gideon. God was telling Gideon to step forward into other things. And this is who you really are. And so she had to forget her family. All those things, like all of that had to be forgotten. And she just stood there with confidence. Didn't say anything, didn't argue, didn't do anything. She just stood in line with her, with her ID. And finally, another worker came over, grabbed her ID, went over, filled out a couple pieces of paper, da-da-da-da-da, handed it to her and said, okay, go ahead and get her on the airplane. She sat on the airplane crying. First of all, that she's on the airplane, then terrified beyond reason of being on an airplane. <laughs> and the rumble and going down and all this newness, and she finally landed, and God broke a paradigm in her. Now her family knows they could fly too. Something opened, and it seems so simple. See, when you're dealing with your identity, he's not sending you into big things. He's not asking you to be Jonah right now. Jonah had been living this way. Jonah just hit a barrier in part of his ministry. But there is a time where there's this, hey, let me show you what you can do. And in a way, she had a, her old self would never have taken her there. So she had to die to her old self so she could step into something new, and now she found joy. You see, it's not a negative. It's always a positive, but it hurts. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask you uh, to close your eyes with me for a moment. Ponder this verse, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. With your eyes closed. Psalms 26.3 says, For your loving kindness is before my eyes. What's before your eyes is loving kindness. And I have walked in your truth. You walk in his truth, sometimes it could look hard. But if loving kindness is before your eyes, it'll keep drawing you and drawing you and drawing you. And all of a sudden you'll start realizing, wow, this is what Christian life is like. And the moment we keep our eyes and our time on him, we start having our real self be pulled out. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do not raise your hand till I say on the count of three. And don't look around either because none of us are Peters looking for John, okay? What truth... Let me ask it this way. Is there a truth that God has spoken to you? Something deep that you know he's speaking to you but you rejected it because of your perception from past experiences or wrong expectations. So ponder that for a moment. Don't raise your hand yet. Is there some truth that's been spoken that you've, you've put aside or rejected because of false ideas, bad experiences, or false expectations? We could add disappointment into that. I just heard someone say, I've tried that once before. That's what we're referring to. 
This is going to be something new. Second question I want you to ponder. What situation, is there a situation or environment that you're in or that you believe God's taking to you, but it triggers a self-protection and self-promotion response that when you step in there, you feel so vulnerable, you, re, you resort to fear versus walking in confidence in who he says you are into that situation. So again, the question is, is there a place that you pushed aside that fear and its fruit, self-protection and self-preservation have caused you to shrink back from stepping forward? Now, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hands real quick and then we'll have you put them down and then we're going to pray for you. One, two, three. You're normal. But we want to take you into the abnormal in the kingdom of God. So, Father, right now, I just speak over every person in this room that raised their hand. Father, the whole idea that they're here is they're pursuing your presence. The whole idea that they're here is they want to know more about you. Many of them have walked with you and talked with you and interacted and have seen amazing things with you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just speak to that false self. Those old ways, those old paradigms, those old blinders. And in the name of Jesus, we break them. And Spirit of God, I pray that your love would so pour down on this group that their eyes would be open to see now new hope, new possibility, new expectation, that even as they leave, there would be an invigoration to step into areas that you have placed in their hearts to do in their new man that have been thwarted by their false self. And Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray that the hope of your calling would be enriched in each person here. The hope of your calling. And that they can now step into seeing others in the same light that you see them. In the same passion you pursue them even when they're rejecting. They would pursue. Because that's what you do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.